I released the children through grade four as we continue in our study of the book of Acts. So glad that you're all able to be here this morning. We're moving into Acts chapter 21. We'll be in verse 37 as we continue and we're focused on this this idea of mission and what does that look like for our lives? How, how is it possible for us to determine our mission? And even as we are here in part of the service this morning, you'll see that you've been given all sorts of opportunities. We've shown you Pack Friday. We've shown you short-term mission trip. We've shown you Red Aprons and, and Advent dinner and, and sh- you know all of these different things that you can be a possibility of being a part of. How do you choose? How do you know what to say yes to and what to say no to? How do you choose those things and how do you begin to understand what those things are for your life? And so we've been looking at this and a couple of weeks ago we looked at Acts chapter 20 verse 24 where Paul says, none of these things move me nor do I count my life dear to myself that I may finish my my race with joy in the ministry I've received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And we've looked at how does this become his mission statement, and as we look at the conclusion of of the book of Acts, we'll see how this mission, this, this desire that he has to fulfill this mission, holds him and sustains him. And as we do that, I think for each one of us, we can stop to consider what does that mean for us. Somebody emailed me a couple of weeks ago after the message and said, when the map was up of Paul's last journey, he wondered what his map would look like for his last journey. And I think that's the question that we're all wondering. What, what is the journey that God has for us? And what does that look like? And how do we make those choices? So we've got a narrative here. And even as we step into this narrative, it's, it's um, a, a lengthy narrative we'll be looking at today. But the important thing is to realize this is the exact account of of what happened in Paul's life. Now, it's condensed, clearly. Luke hasn't given word for word what's happened. It's condensed. But it does give us an indicator of what was happening in a day of the life of Paul. And I think as we see this, we're going to see some things about how knowing the mission God had for him guided his life, and in that, we'll be able to see the same thing for ourselves. So three things specifically that we'll be seeing in this is that knowing the mission allows us to be open and honest about our past, and that knowing our mission allows us to know why we've been chosen, and then knowing our our mission allows us to see how God will use the circumstances in our lives. And so as I read this narrative, I'd like for you to be looking for those three things within the narrative as they play out in Paul's life, and then we'll talk a little bit about that how that can impact our lives. Now, as we step into this narrative, it's important to to get some of the setting, okay? Because I don't think that necessarily we quite understand what was going on at this moment in time. Remember that Paul had determined that he wanted to get back to Jerusalem in time for Pentecost or Shavuot, okay? So there would be a festival going on in Jerusalem at this point in time. And so the, the city would be expanded in how many people were there because people from all over Israel would have come to be part of this festival. 
It's the final spring festival, and it's the, that's so important. And at this point in time, when Paul's coming back, the amazing thing that's so important about it is that it's finding fulfillment in, in two different ways in the crowd. And, and for a large part of the crowd who are, are traditionally Jewish and, and who haven't quite come to the point yet where they've understood that Jesus is the fulfillment of, of, this, of this festival, and they haven't seen the fulfillment of that and have not yet taken full advantage of their Jewishness. As they're there, they're celebrating the giving of the law through Moses and, and thinking about Mount Sinai and, and how he poured himself out in that way. And for those who have found their completeness in Jesus and, and have come to that saving uh, knowledge of him, for them, they're celebrating that as Jews, but they're also celebrating the pouring out of the Holy Spirit that Joel prophesied about. And so what's happening in the city is this beautiful uh, uh, blending of these two. And then on top of it, you've got God's plan being uh, revealed for the Gentiles. And so you've got Gentiles who are coming. And I would imagine many of the Gentiles at that point are coming for Pentecost to Jerusalem because they want to celebrate where the Holy Spirit was poured out. And they want to take advantage of that festival as well because it's so important to realize, and Paul will make this clear today in the narrative, that he didn't stop being a Jew when he, when he was um, taking full advantage of who Jesus was, but rather he, he lived as a, as a, in fulfillment of that. And so as we look at this passage, there's all these things going on, and then there's, there's this almost riot that breaks out that Pastor Gabe talked about last week, and the crowd's following and shouting, get rid of him. And so that's the narrative we're stepping into. So it's a volatile moment in time. And, and everybody's on edge. And you can imagine the Roman soldiers are trying to keep peace, wondering what's going on, and it's all happening. So that's the narrative we're stepping into. So now I'm going to read the narrative. It's a lengthy section. As I read, you're looking for three things, right? Three things. You'll remember they're in your notes. How is he able to be open and honest about his past? How is he able to know why he has been chosen? And how is God using his circumstances, Paul's circumstances, to help Paul fulfill the mission that he has for him? Okay? So excited to read this passage to you. As the soldiers were about to take Paul into the barracks, he asked the commander, May I say something to you? Do you speak Greek, he replied. Aren't you the Egyptian who started a revolt that led to 4,000 terrorists out in the wilderness some time ago? Paul answered, I'm a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a, city, uh, um, a citizen of no ordinary city. Please let me speak to the people. After receiving the commander's permission, Paul stood on the steps and motioned to the crowd. When they were all silent, he said in Aramaic, Brothers, Fathers, now listen to my defense. When they heard him speak in Aramaic, they became very quiet. Then Paul said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city. I studied under Gamaliel and was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. I was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. I persecuted the followers of this way to their death arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison. 
As the high priest and all the council can themselves testify, I even obtained letters from them to their associates in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. About noon, as I came near to Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice say, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I asked. I am Jesus of Nazareth, who you are persecuting, he replied. My companions saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. What shall I do, Lord? I said, get up. The Lord said, go into Damascus. There you will be told all that you have been assigned to do. My companions led me by the hand into Damascus because the brilliance of the light had blinded me. A man named Ananias came to see me. He was a devout, a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. He stood behind me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very moment, I was able to see him. Then he said, The God of our ancestors have chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. You will be his witness to all people of what you have seen and heard. And now, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. When I returned to Jerusalem and was praying at the temple, I fell into a trance and saw the Lord speaking to me. Quick, he said, leave Jerusalem immediately because the people here will not accept your testimony about me. Lord, I replied, these people know that I went from one synagogue to another to imprison and beat those who believe in you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I stood there giving my approval, guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Then the Lord said to me, go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Well, the crowd listened to Paul until he said this. Then they raised their voices and shouted, rid the world of him, he's not fit to live. As they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the commander ordered that Paul be taken into the barracks. He directed that he be flogged and interrogated in order to find out why the people were shouting at him like this. As they stretched him out to flog him, Paul said to the centurion standing there, is it legal for you to flog a Roman citizen who hasn't even been found guilty? When the centurion heard this, he went to the commander and reported it. What are you going to do, he asked. This man is a Roman citizen. The commander went to Paul and asked, tell me, are you a Roman citizen? Yes, I am, he answered. And the commander said, I had to pay a lot of money for my citizenship. But I was born a citizen, Paul replied. Those who were about to interrogate him withdrew immediately. The commander himself was alarmed when he realized that he had put Paul, a Roman prisoner, in chains. The commander wanted to find out exactly why Paul was being accused by the Jews, so the next day he released him and ordered the chief priests and all the members of the Sanhedrin to assemble. And so he brought Paul and had him stand before them. 
Paul looked straight at the Sanhedrin and said, My brothers, I have fulfilled my duty to God in all good conscience to this day. At this, the high priest Ananias ordered those standing near Paul to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. You sit there to judge me according to the law, yet you yourself violate the law by commanding that I be struck. Those who were standing near Paul said, How dare you insult God's high priest? Paul replied, Brothers, I did not realize that he was the high priest. For it is written, Do not speak evil about the ruler of your people. Then Paul, knowing that some of them were Sadducees and the others Pharisees, called out in the Sanhedrin, My brothers, I am a Pharisee, descended from Pharisees. I stand on trial because of the hope of the resurrection of the dead. When he said this, a dispute broke out between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. The Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, and that there are neither angels nor spirits. But the Pharisees believe all these things. There was a great uproar. Some of the teachers of the law who were Pharisees stood up and argued vigorously. We find nothing wrong within this man, they said. What if a spirit or angel has spoken to him? The dispute became so violent that the commander was afraid Paul would be torn into pieces by them. He ordered the troops to go down and take them away by force and bring him into the barracks. The following night, the Lord stood near Paul and said, Take courage. As you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. Oh my, what an exciting narrative, right? I mean, can you, can you picture what that would be like? Can you use your biblical imagination to put yourself there? And to think of the tenseness that was going on. And, and Paul, oh man, I just love the way that he responds and the way that he moves. He's, he's respectful. Did you see that throughout the account, how he was respectful and asked permission? And, 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 and when he realized about the high priest, he spoke, he was respectful. But all through it, and even the last verse we read, to realize that he's, he's focused on his mission. And from Acts chapter 20, verse 24 forward, as you look at all the times it talks about witnessing and testifying, and God coming to Paul and talking to him about testifying, and Paul saying, I am testifying, you'll see that he's focused on this in that last one, that last verse, as you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. So that testifying to the grace of God, the grace of the gospel, is what Paul's focused on. Now, as I'm reading this narrative, you're probably thinking to yourself, that was a long passage of Scripture. Is he going to go through verse by verse? Because we'll be here forever. Well, you can take heart. The first service has already disbanded, so you know that there is an end in sight. But what we're going to do is we're not going to look and, and burrow down into the exact things, but rather we're going to take an overview of this passage. Paul starts out by saying, let me give my defense. Listen to my defense. And if you were brought on trial, if, if, if you were brought forward and brought into trial, what would be your defense? And as Paul unpacks this, as he unpacks his defense, he is unpacking, I believe, how his mission 
the mission he's received from God is holding him. And the first thing we see in that is that knowing your mission allows you to be open and honest about your past. As he comes to present his defense, within his defense is the fact that he has a past. There was something going on in his life before he met Jesus. Greg Laurie, when he talks about this passage in Scripture, he talks about Paul coming and saying, you know, and, and being the blinding light, and he says, who are you, Lord? And then he thinks to himself, please don't be Jesus, please don't be Jesus, please don't be Jesus. You know, because, right, he was out there, and he was persecuting those who were following the way, those who were proclaiming that Jesus was who he said he was. And so as Paul comes forward and starts giving his defense, he's able to start talking about the things that he had done in his life, the things that he had done that were wrong, the the misconceptions that he had, the things that were not in line with what God had for him. And he's able to, to, to proclaim those things because, you see, the truth is, if you're a follower of Jesus, you've been saved from something right? You've been saved from something, and now each one of us have been saved from our sin. Yes, those of us who are followers of Jesus, we've been saved from our sin, but each one of us have situations and circumstances in our lives that we've been saved from. Not all of us have the same sins in our past. Not all of us have those same things that, we've, that we have that are part of who we are. But Paul is able to declare, these are the things that I was doing before I met Jesus. And he was able to be open and honest about those in the proper setting. As I think about what what Paul's being open and honest about, Paul was zealous. Before and after he met Jesus, Paul was zealous. All right, he, he had a passion and a drive. Every time I think I'm doing a really good job, I read about Paul and think, okay, i got to step up, right? You know, I mean, this guy had like relentless, right? And when you look at that, when you think about that, before that blinding light, before Jesus revealed himself to Paul, he was bound and determined to do what he thought was right. Paul had determined what the mission should be for his life, and his mission was to destroy as many people from the way as possible because they weren't in line with what he understood God to be doing. So his motive was maybe right, but his mission was wrong. That was not the mission God had for his life. The mission for Paul's life was not to go destroy followers of the way. The mission for Paul's life was to go and help people become followers of the way. And so one of the things that Paul was able to do in his defense is say, listen, I realize that what I was doing before that I thought was what God had for me was not what God had for me. And once you know the mission God has for your life, you're able to look back and see those things that were not part of the mission God has for your life, and you're able to declare, these are the things I was doing that were not in line with what God had for me. The second thing I see as we look through this Paul, this uh, narrative of Paul, knowing your mission allows you to know why you've been chosen. 
It allows you to know why you've been chosen. In verse 14, it says, uh, Ananias came to, comes to Paul and says, the God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and hear his words. You will be his witness to all people. I will send you far away to the Gentiles. So Paul knew that he was chosen for a mission. And God made it clear to him what that mission was. He knew that he had a mission from God. And God had come and spoken through Ananias and made that clear, but God came to him himself and spoke to him and made that clear. And so Paul was able to say, this is what I've been chosen to do. I can't believe, sometimes it just blows my mind that out of all the people who have ever lived, who are living now, and who will ever live, God chose me. Who am I? Who, who am I? And God chose me. And if you're a follower of Jesus, God chose you. I couldn't save myself. Not by works of righteousness, which I've done. It's by his mercy. He saved me. He rescued me. He chose me. He reached down from heaven and he grabbed me. I was sinking deep in sin. Buried deeply, stained within. Love lifted me. He chose me. And for a long time, I thought that God chose me for me. See, I thought God chose me because he wanted me to be happy. And he wanted me to be, you know, prosperous. And he wanted me to be whatever I thought me should be. Because I thought that's why God saved me. So that, you know, because, listen, do you want to go to heaven or do you want to go to hell? What's the difference? Well, heaven's this place where God is and there's no sin and hell there's fire and torment all the time. Well, I think I'll take heaven. Okay, are you happy? Yeah, good. Say this prayer and you're in. And I'm thinking, good, I got it. God chose me to do something in this world for him. That's why he chose me. That's why he saved me. He saved me, he rescued, and he chose me so that he could, through me, make a difference in this world. And he's got a mission for me, he's got a mission for you. And listen, he loves you and he chose you and he brought you out and he rescued you. And he did that for a reason. And the reason is to make him known. Now, Paul, as he looks at this and, and he declares this, it's so amazing to see that he knew why he had been chosen and what he had been chosen for. So, for what purpose has God called you? What is the purpose? Listen, if you're a follower of Jesus, what has he called you for? What has he chosen you to do in this world? The final thing we see is that if I can know the mission God has for me, if I can be sure of what that is, then I can see how the circumstances of my life are being used by him to fulfill the mission he has for me. 
So God has a mission for me, and he uses the circumstances of my past. He uses those circumstances to help fulfill that. Look at all the times in the passage that we read, all the times in the narrative where, you know, Paul is stretched out to be flogged. And he's like, um, did you know I'm a Roman citizen? Oh, no voice. Think of all the things in Paul's life. He is, he is this pivotal person. When we stop to think about salvation and the message of salvation, imagine where we'd be without the life of Paul. God chose Paul to come in and be able to, and he was uniquely positioned to be able to do that. The circumstances of his life had brought him to a place where he and he alone could fulfill this mission. He was born a Jew, and not just a Jew, a Jew from the tribe of Benjamin, and not just a Jew from the tribe of Benjamin, but a Pharisee, and not just a Pharisee, a Pharisee of Pharisees. And he was born in, in Tarsus of Cilicia. You see, he was born in, in, a, in a city that was very significant. And so all of these things, it would have allowed him to be in a place where he would have been, been well aware of a Hellenistic mindset. He could speak Greek. He could speak Aramaic. He understood the Jew. When he stood before that crowd... He was able to say, I know who you are because I've been where you are. I understand what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking. I've thought those same things myself. I've learned the same things that you have learned. I've experienced the same things that you've experienced. And let me tell you, Jesus is the fulfillment of all those things. And so he was able to speak into the Jewish people to help them understand that, yes, I'm still observing the festivals. I'm still doing all these things because I love my Jewishness, but Jesus is the fulfillment of that. And by the way, Jesus is the plan of God to make it possible for the Gentiles to join in with us and be one. And Paul could understand that because of the, because of the choosing that God had placed on his life. And for a brief moment in time, there was that unity between Jew and Gentile. It's been a struggle ever since. And God's plan is to bring that unity together through Jesus. And Paul is uniquely situated through his circumstances to be able to fulfill the mission that God has for him. What about the circumstances in your life? See, there's circumstances in your life. Some of them you have no control over. Jesus said in Acts, or I'm sorry, Paul said in Acts 17 that Jesus has determined where you'd live, where you'd breathe, where you'd move, where you'd work, where you'd be. He determined all of that, and he did it so that men would seek him. You live where you live so that men will seek Jesus. See, the, the fact that I can look out the back door of my house and about a mile away is the farm that my grandpa had. Did I decide to buy my property? Uh-huh. Did God determine it? Uh-huh. How does that work? Figure it out. Let me know. All I know is God's sovereign, and he determined that. And he determined all of the circumstances of my life and how he would use those to fulfill the mission that he has for me. 
And so what are those circumstances? And I stop to think about them, and I, I think about all the choices that I made, the way that I, I ran from him as fast as I could, and, and the way that I came back to him, and I think of the choices that I made of who to marry, where I live, where I go to church, all of those things that uses all of those circumstances. The way that I struggle with anger, and, and, you know, for some of you, maybe you come from foster situations, maybe you come from situations of abuse, whatever it may be, those circumstances in your life, and maybe some of them are self-inflicted. And understand that over here, if I live in the things that, that the wrong choices I've made, if I live over here embracing those things, I live in condemnation. And see, condemnation, that, that belongs to Satan. See, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, amen? And so as we look at that and we see that, we see that if we allow ourselves to be defined by the things that have defeated us, that we will never be effective for the Lord because we're trapped in the past and God has so much more than that for us. If you're a follower of Jesus, he set you free and he set you free from condemnation so that you can live in conviction. And you see, conviction is how do I take the things of the past and take those and change them in my life by the power of the Holy Spirit and use them for his glory in the mission that God has for my life. One of the things that... One of the things I love is to see people who've been set free from this and to see how they become a voice. We have a, I love it when people who've made choices for abortion come to a place where they experience the forgiveness that is only possible through Jesus. And they come to the place where they, they embrace that forgiveness and now they become a voice because they're no longer trapped in the guilt and the shame, but they're set free from that so that they can become a voice into people who are experiencing the choice, and they can step in because God uses the circumstances of your past to help fulfill the mission that he has for you. So what's, what's the mission God has for you? What is it? How can you know it? How can you know the mission God has for you? On the back side of your note page, I have four things there. I'd love for you to set aside some time. Get away with God. Look over these things. What does it look like for you to uncover the mission that God has for your life? And start out by writing down all the commands of God. What are the commands of God that you know? And if you've been sitting in a church for a while, you know what those are. Do this, don't do that, do this, don't do that. Okay, and we look at those and we think of them as a list of rules, but look at them as the loving guidance from, from a father who loves you and rescued you because he's got something to do through you. So take, take some time and write down on a list, what are the commands of God that you know and what are the ones that are especially important to you? You know, forgive others as I've forgiven you. Love one another. You know, whatever that may be, list them down there. And then start another list. What are your passions? What are your desires? What are the things in your life that make your heart go... See, and they don't necessarily need to be spiritual things. Okay, because God has placed us here where we are to do what we're doing, and he's placed you in your family and in your community, wherever you are, and he's given you passions and desires. He's given you things that make your heart sore. What are those things? 
Write them down. What are your holy discontents? Write those down. And put those down on a list, whatever it may be. You know? And, and, and now you've got two lists, one more list. What are the circumstances of your life? Think of some of the significant circumstances in your life. How have you experienced things and how, how, have, how, how have those things made you who you are today? What are the circumstances in your life? Write those things down. And then take those three lists and look at them together. Give priority to the commands of God. Because the truth is, if I'm not walking with Jesus, I give priority to the middle one. I give priority to my passions and my desires. Okay? And the next thing you know, I'm spending all my money on my passions and my desires and my, right? All my time, all my effort, all my... So if you take these three and you put them next to each other, and you take the commands of God that he's stirring in your heart, and you begin to look at your passions through the commands of God, and you begin to look at your, at your circumstances through the love of God, and, and you begin to look at those things... It will become clear to you, I say, as you submit your heart to him, why he has chosen you and what he has chosen you for. And I get excited to think, what if everyone who is a follower of Jesus knew exactly why God had chosen them? And they were making their decisions of what to do, what not to do, based upon that call. Because each of us are to know Christ and make him known. Yes, that's broad. But each one of us lives that out differently because of where we are, because of where we've, what we've experienced, and because of who God's calling us to be. Oh God, how we love you. I'm amazed, Lord, that you chose me. And I look around and I see a whole bunch of other people and I'm amazed that you chose any of us. But you did. Forgive us for the times, Lord, that we've, we've been focused too much on ourselves on that. Search us, know us. Lord, if there's any place where we've been apathetic or, or, or anything like that, stir in us. Give us each an opportunity this week to look in a new way of what your mission is for our lives. For your glory. God, there's a world of people, most of whom are bound to an eternity apart from you. We hold the message. Use us, God. We pray this in your name. Amen.